In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was growing up, my family moved a couple of times so that my father could pastor a new church. But my parents were very good about walking us through that emotional journey. They brought us back at different times to the town where I was born. And I remember such a return visit one time when I was a teenager. My parents drove us past family landmarks, which included, of course, the house where we lived, and we sort of creeped around on the street looking in the windows. And then we passed the church uh, where my father had served. And then the next spot that we had to go back to was, believe it or not, the town cemetery. You heard me right. We didn't happen to have any family buried there, but we had spent a lot of time there together. Now, we weren't morbid like some kind of Adams family, but we found that that cemetery was a beautiful and peaceful place full of history. We loved it so much that my older sister actually chose to have her five-year-old birthday party there in the cemetery. Can you imagine 25-year-old girls playing tag in a field by the pond in the middle of the grave sites? This juxtaposition makes me pause. How can a place where the dead are buried be a place of life and hope and even a place of innocence? Some of us have buried our closest loved ones in cemeteries, and perhaps we have buried too many loved ones ones who died too young. And we at each, at times, become aware that, that, that death too will take us because death is the end for every human being, the great leveler. Cemeteries are physical places that we are familiar with, places of grief, loss, and surrender. There are also metaphorical graveyards in our lives as though our hearts carry buried within them the dreams that died, the disappointments of life, the monuments of failure that we cannot escape, and the times when sin has left a mark on our own lives or on the lives of those we love. Sometimes it can feel as though our spiritual landscape is littered with these losses that are little deaths. Both physical loss and spiritual death are low places that leave us feeling overwhelmed by our lack of control, as though we ourselves have been buried underground. As human beings, we each know what it feels like to be overwhelmed by something out of our control, paralyzed, buried, stubbing our toes down there on rock bottom. But the beautiful thing about low places, about hitting the bottom, is that there's only one place to go, up. The prophet Ezekiel speaks to the people of Israel at a point in their history when they had truly hit rock bottom. They had been told by God centuries earlier as they were poised to enter the promised land that if they failed to keep his commandments, and especially to worship him alone, then God would allow another nation to conquer them and to exile them out of their land. God sent prophets to warn them when they started to go astray, but they would not listen, and they could not obey. 
Five years before Ezekiel's first prophecy, this unhappy event had happened, and the people of Judah were captured by the Babylonians and taken away from their home and into exile. And then the Babylonians besieged and destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's Solomon's temple within it. The people of Israel in Ezekiel's day had truly hit rock bottom. They understood that this devastation was the natural consequence for their sin and their disobedience. For Israel, this captivity and exile was a fate worse than death. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. During this lowest moment, The Lord speaks to Ezekiel with a message for his people. God takes the prophet and shows him what could be accurately described as the valley of the shadow of death. A valley full of dry and dusty bones. And in this graveyard lie exposed the remains of a great many men who are long gone. A defeated army, not recently deceased, but dead dead, dead. The Lord asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And the prophet wisely answers, O Lord God, thou knowest. Ezekiel believes that God is capable, that in his sovereign power he is able to bring the dead back to life, able to forgive Israel's transgression, able to end the judgment of exile. And in Ezekiel's question, we see, uh, in his response, we see that the question in his mind must have been, God, you can do this. You are able, but will you? Thou alone knowest, O God, if it is in your will to forgive and restore. And what happens next shows that God's will concerning both judgment and death is that there will be an end of judgment and that death will be reversed. God's property is always to have mercy. At the Lord's command, Ezekiel prophesies to the dry bones. By the word of the Lord, the bones come together. They are rattling together, bone upon bone, sinew upon sinew. They are reformed and remade, shaped into countless men. But like Adam, the first man, they have no life in them just yet. They are formed, poised for new life. But it is not until the wind comes and breathes on them that they are actually revived and live again. Through this prophetic act, the triune God shows that it is by his word and his spirit that he will end judgment and death for his people and bring the sure and certain hope of new life. God is in the business of justifying sinners and raising them from the dead. The Lord desires the end of judgment for his people, for Israel long ago, and for us today. And the end of judgment comes through Jesus Christ, who is the eternal word made flesh. Which brings us to our gospel for today where we see Jesus performing a miracle that would point to his own resurrection. At Jesus' arrival in Bethany, Lazarus had been buried for four long days in his tomb. 
The Jewish people believed that the soul departed from the body completely after three days. So Lazarus was dead, dead, dead. Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. By his word, Lazarus is brought miraculously back to life. See, God demonstrates that his will is to free people from judgment and from death, and not just temporarily, but eternally. The graveyard of that valley full of bones and Lazarus' tomb were places of resignation and death, places where all hope and human ability were abandoned, places where God's power and mercy alone could forgive, heal, restore, and raise. And so when I survey the graveyard of my own heart, the losses of friendship, the paths not taken, the buried dreams and failed careers, those burned bridges, those misunderstandings that might never be straightened out, and this gnawing frustration with my own sinful self, my sinful flesh, there's only one thing that can transform this place of terror and darkness into a place of peaceful rest and expectant faith. And so I at times see this potential transformation that I know to have happened even in my life, and I see it visually, because visually my imagination has been captured by some of the forms throughout art history. Specifically, the form of a triptych. Do you know what a triptych is? It's a three-paneled painting. And on one side of the panel, there's one picture. The other side, there's another picture. And then in the middle, a bigger image jumps out at us. And in this triptych of my life, I see on this one side the graveyard of my spiritual death, the landscape of my heart, the hopes and dreams that are buried, and the landmarks, the monuments of sin and shame. And then on the other side, on the left side, I see that same place, and yet it is transformed from the place of darkness into a place of sunny light, filled even with the laughter and joy of 25-year-old girls playing tag. In the very center, then, of the triptych is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. In fact, between these two views in my personal graveyard, the whole person and work of Jesus Christ is placed because through him, God builds a bridge between these two views on my personal graveyard. Jesus has absorbed the judgment for my sins and shielded me from that judgment. He bears, too, the sorrows and sufferings that I experience in this life. Jesus was buried in the tomb, almost as though he was buried under that sea of bones in the valley that Ezekiel saw. Jesus, for me, was dead, dead, dead. Through faith in him, our moral failures and our personal faults are also buried. They're hidden forever. God's word spoken over us through Jesus Christ 
is that we are no longer known and characterized by our sin, but by Jesus' righteousness. The spiritual cemetery of our hearts are overshadowed by God's love for us in Jesus. And the place of loss and shame is not just a place of surrender where we cease our striving, but a place, too, of great faith where we are poised, expectant, waiting, and looking to God in hope. Because, you see, there's another painting that will be painted. And that other painting has a panel. And in this brand new piece of art, that panel will be painted when God who justified us through Jesus Christ, will raise us at the last day. Jesus will call out our names just like he called out to Lazarus, just like God called out through Ezekiel to those dry bones. And we will come forth as newly made people, leaving all the darkness behind us in that tomb. So for that, we can say, thanks be to God.